Hey guys, before we get started, I have a little secret for you. Come here. Did you know that we are on YouTube? That is right. You can watch these interviews live, uncut, by going to youtube.com forward slash Heather Parody. That is P-A-R-A-D-Y. I promise you it's another level watching these on YouTube. So again, find us over there by searching for Heather Parody or Unconventional Leaders. And make sure you hit that subscribe button. You know, follow fate. So we're presented with fate. And, and don't don't fight the fate, what's given to you, what's presented, this, this English teacher and so on. But understand that that there's certain things that come into our lives. The coronavirus is a great example. What's important is not so much that they're there, they come into our life. It's what we end up doing with them ultimately. And so keep yourself open to looking at what opportunities this presents. And whenever you find a challenge or you're, you're confronted with a problem or a crisis, look for the opportunities. I was born with several palsies. I was told not to take risks. I may be blind, but I teach people how to see. And I'm proud to be an individual. This podcast is for you, the unconventional leader. Maybe you are the one that everyone discounted. Maybe you struggle with fear and self-doubt. We are here to empower the next generation of self-starters to step up. Use their voice and make an impact in this world. Our reality is molded by our perception of reality. That comes from today's guest, John Perkins. And if this is your first time listening, my name is Heather Parody. I am your host. And today we're going to be talking about how we can change our perception and find the hidden opportunity within fear. John Perkins is an author and activist whose 10 books on global intrigue, shamanism, and transformation, including Touching the Jaguar, Shapeshifting, and the classic Confessions of an Economic Hitman, has been on New York Times bestseller lists for more than 70 weeks, sold over 2 million copies, and are published in 35 different languages. As a chief economist at a major consulting firm, he advised the World Bank, United Nations, Fortune 500 corporations, U.S., and other governments. He regularly speaks at universities, economic forums, and shamanic gatherings around the world and is the founder and board member of the nonprofit organizations Pachamama Alliance and Dream Change. In other words, John Perkins is a pretty cool individual, and we talk about why we have to face our fear in order to change change our perceptions and that there are opportunities within fear and how we can identify what those fears are that are holding us back. Make sure you connect with him at johnperkins.com. Also grab this awesome book, Touching the Jaguar. All of that is linked in the show notes. And hey, if you have a friend, family member, Somebody you met recently at Kroger is struggling with fear and their perception of the thing that they are going through right now. If you will take a screenshot of this episode, send it to them via DM or a text message. I know John's wisdom that he shares today is completely life-changing. So thank you so much for investing in the life of your friend, your family member, that person at Kroger that you met and sharing this interview with them. All right, y'all, let's get into this. Changing perception and the hidden opportunity within fear with today's guest, John Perkins. Well, Heather, thank you for having me on the show. I, I love your show. and said, I'm, I'm honored to be here. I grew up the son of a teacher at a boys' 
boarding school. The school gave us a house and I ate in a dining room with about, about 200 boys from the time I was four years old. We didn't lack any of the essentials of life, but we were poor. My dad almost didn't make a salary. You know, it was basically a living condition. Yet I was surrounded by extremely wealthy young men who came from all over the world, you know, Paris, Aries, and Park Avenue, New York, and so forth. And all my life, I, I heard their stories and heard about these places in the world. And I didn't leave New Hampshire, really, until I was in college. I always wanted to be a writer. I loved writing. I've always loved writing. So I had this, this big dream was to be a writer and to travel around the world. <laughs> And, and in a way, it took, it, it took a very circuitous route, but in a way, that's exactly what happened. And, and I have to say, part of the circuitous route was that freshman year in college, I had a professor who was a well-known writer, and I had, a, I had a great admiration for him when I went into the course. And I'd been editor of my school newspaper in prep school and won a short story prize. I was a good writer. But he criticized writing terribly, never getting higher than it. It discouraged me so much that I, I quit school. And eventually I went back. I didn't want anything more to do with writing. I was so hurt by what he'd said. Well, I'm a failure as a writer because I trusted the guy. <laughs> that I, I went back and studied economics and business and, and went, went to business school and never wrote again for a long, long time. And then, you know, the, the title of this of my new book is Touching the Jaguar, and I'm, I'm touching the Jaguar right now. You can see the Jaguar that I'm, only, I'm touching. And I, and I re remembered that phrase from an Amazonian shaman who healed me when I was in the Peace Corps in between all of this. And the, the thing is that you've got to touch that which you fear, that which is holding you back from doing what you most want to do. And I realized that what was holding me back was this professor's words, his criticism. And I and I touched that. Instead of running, continuing to run from it, which I've been doing for a long time, I touched it and I, it occurred to me, this guy is just a human being. You know, he likes and his dislikes. And then I was struck remembering that he was highly critical of Bob Dylan's writing. Bob Dylan won the Nobel Prize in Literature. <laughs> so that Jaguar came out and said, hey, don't let your life be controlled by that guy. You're a good writer. You know you are. You can write. Get out there and start writing. And so I did, and I, I think that's a, you know, it, was a, it was a really good story of how things, how that turned me around. And then from there, I was able to realize this dream of traveling around as I've been doing for the last many years, writing about things all over the world. It's not every day I hear someone say, when the shaman healed me when I was in the Peace Corps and told me to touch the Jaguar. I don't hear that a lot. That is a very unique statement and story, and I have to ask you a little bit about it. What does that mean? Well, so after business school, I joined the Peace Corps and requested the Amazon. Went there. This is 1968, um, 19, the end of 68, so really I'm into 69. Why did you request the Amazon? Well, because I grew up in New Hampshire, as I mentioned. My, my, my heritage goes back more than 300 years. I have some indigenous blood from the Abnaki, the Algonquin people up there. It's very, very slight. I had a great, great something grandmother who was captured by Abnaki's, became one and had kids. And it doesn't count for much other than the fact that it always gave me this huge interest in woods lore. And I spent a lot of time in the woods as a, as a young boy, lived in the woods. And I, I do here now. I love the woods. And so I knew that there were people, there were about the only place in the world where people still live like it was the Amazon. And I wanted to experience that. So the Peace Corps sends me there. After a while, very sick. Uh, I was dying. I couldn't keep any food down. 
I couldn't stand up alone. I was in deep in the rainforest, and to get to a medical facility would require three days of very, very tough hiking and a rickety old bus travel up way up into the Andes. Couldn't do it. So I was, sort of, I was resigned to dying. And the shaman one night came by, I was brought by, and he took me on this shamanic journey, vision quest. And he went to this kind of altered state. You know, I, I like to take people on these now. It's, it's almost a form of hypnosis. And on this shamanic state, I'm in this altered state this night. He's chanting, and I see morphous form. And, and the shaman says, touch the jaguar. Well, I look around like I'm in the jungle. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Where's the jaguar? And he, he says, all done through translation in another language. He says, oh, no, it's the jaguar you see. And, and this amorphous form became a jaguar. And I reached out and I touched it. And when I did, I heard this voice saying, son, it'll kill you. And I saw how every time I ate the food that that the, 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 the Shwa people who I was living with, the indigenous people, eat some very strange foods in my experience and drank. They, they don't drink because they never have too much organic matter. So they drink something called chicha, which is a kind of beer made by women chewing and spitting manioc root. It ferments. You can pour water in it then. It makes it safe. And so I'm drinking a lot of this stuff, but every time I'm drinking it or eating these strange foods, I hear this voice saying, it'll kill you. And then I saw how incredibly healthy the schwa were, robust, vital, hunters and gatherers. And many live to be very, very old if they're not killed in hunting accidents or something like that. And so I saw that night that it was not this jaguar. When I touched this jaguar, it showed me that it wasn't the food and drink that was killing me. It was my perception. It was my mindset. The next day, I was much, much better. A few days later, the shaman required his payment to become his apprentice. Now, I just graduated from business school in 1969. Nobody's ever heard of a shaman. There's no future in shamanism. There is today, but there wasn't then. Had no interest, but the guy saved my life. So I did, and it became very interesting to me. And later I studied with shamans in Iran and Indonesia and, and Egypt and all over the Americas. And what I learned is that all of them have this belief that our reality is molded by our perceptions of reality. And in fact, that's the basis for modern psychotherapy. It's the basis for quantum physics, for advertising, for marketing. It, when you come right down to it, there's no, there's no United States, there's no Canada, there's no Mexico, except as we perceive them. And when enough people accept a perception, it becomes the reality. And so, you know, this business of touching the Jaguar is, is the, the belief system that we have to change in order to move from an old reality to a new reality. And right now with this coronavirus, the subtitle of, the, of this book is, just, I just received my first copy of it. The subtitle you can probably see is Transforming Fear into Action to Change Your Life and the World. When I wrote the book, I had no idea there would be a coronavirus pandemic, of course, but it's the perfect book for these times. And I did know that there were all these hurricanes and fires and earthquakes and once in 100 year events that were happening every year or so, and that we needed to change the way we, we relate to each other and to nature, in, in essence, how human beings relate to the world. So, so that, that was very obvious to me. <laughs> it's the business of transformation. And to change that, we have to touch the Jaguar. 
I can, I think I can conceptualize that with something that may seem a little smaller in my own life, that maybe this isn't real. This is just my perception of it, but it comes, becomes a little bit more difficult when you think of things that are going on in the world. Like you mentioned the coronavirus. If you're listening to this in 2020, we have this crazy pandemic. We're all still at home right now. Is that perception? Is that, is that something that we can shift and change? How do we shift the fear of something like a global pandemic into something productive and take action towards it? Well, the virus is there, and there are things that are there, the things that we take for granted. Uh, in my case, the food was there, the, the, the spit beer and the strange foods. That's, that's one reality. But the perception was that it was killing me. And so it took me to a reality where I was getting very sick. Once I changed the perception, it's local, it's organic, it's nutritious, it makes them healthy, therefore it makes me healthy. It took me to a new reality. There's a virus, there are viruses, there's always a virus, we're filled with viruses, there's viruses all around us. Uh, they're there, but how do we deal with them? And what is our perception of them? And do we look at them as, as the enemy? Do we, or do, and and how, do we, how do we address that as the enemy? Or do we look at them as something that's sending us some kind of a message? And I think, you know, one thing, one message we're getting here is that we've been spending, the United States spends 10 times more on military uh, on its military budget, it spends more on its military budget than the next ten countries combined. Over fifty dollars of every dollar you spend, on, you give to taxes, goes to the military. And what we're realizing is that this, this probably the greater things for us to fear than other human beings. And I'm not suggesting that we don't have to be concerned about the Russians and the North Koreans and the Chinese. Of course, we have to be concerned. But in this day of cybernetics and so forth. Do we really need so many huge aircraft carriers and missiles? Or do we, do we really look at what, what viruses might do to us? And this virus, from all accounts, probably has nothing to do with an attack by some other nation, but it could. We have to address the fact that our healthcare system is not sufficient. The way we've perceived our healthcare system is not a good one for dealing with this. When you have a healthcare system that's based on maximizing short-term profits for pharmaceutical and other healthcare co companies, that is not a good way to deal with something like this. And it's also a healthcare system that really, you know, it's got a lot of benefits. I, I, I'm very grateful to it. It saved my life a few times out of this healthcare system as well as shamanism. But, but I think we have to look at the, the, the idea that it's based on short-term profits. And sometimes it, it's, the pharmaceutical industry is very much driven by the idea that it's better to provide something to keep people sick almost, but, but get rid of the symptoms than it is to actually find cures because that's more profitable. And let's face it, our, our, all of our business schools teach that the, that the goal of business is to maximize short-term profits regardless of the social and environmental costs. And that's created a very dangerous economic system, something a lot of economists are referring to as a death economy. We need to transform that into something we call a life economy, which is really about taking care of people cleaning up pollution, regenerating destroyed environments, hiring people to do things that make our lives safer, healthier, and actually a lot more pleasant. Now, I know you spent the majority of your career in the economic space. Did you teach on this about perception during that time? Why was now the, right, the time to write this book? Well, I had written five books on shamanism. The World is As You Dream It, Shapeshifting, Psychonavigation, and a couple of others. And then I wrote Confessions of an Economic Hitman, which became a big-time bestseller, over two million copies, you know, and 
through 35 plus languages and so forth, and, and three more books on, on global economics and intrigue. And so I had these two different seemingly diverse opposite ends of the spectrum <laughs> genres. And people used to ask me, you know, I spoke at economic forums, people would say, well, did you write those strange books on shamanism? <laughs> you can't be the same person. And, and people, when I teach at shaman or new age groups, people say, well, you didn't write those books on economics. That must be a different John Perkins, right? And I realized people didn't, and to me, there was a very strong connection because the way we change our economy, the way we transform from a death economy to a life economy is by changing our perception of what it means to be successful in business and as human beings. It's a change of perception from short-term, maximizing short-term profits to maximizing long-term benefits for people and nature and paying people to do that. It's, it's, it's a very simple system. All you got to do is change that perception. And so this book, Touching the Jaguar, I wrote specifically to be a bridge between these two fields, to bring them together. And this seemed like the right time to do it when we were experiencing so many, as I've mentioned, once in 100 year events, when it was almost obvious that things were failing us, even before the coronavirus, the riots, and the other things that we're facing today started to happen. It was already a lot of, a lot of warnings. At the same time, we were seeing change begin to happen. We were seeing the rise of B corporations, benefit corporations, conscious capitalism, uh, the Green New Deal. We were seeing businesses and other people become much more interested in organic foods and, and local buying local. So there was, there was a movement that had already begun. So it seemed like the ideal time to get in there and, and help convince people, look, we got to touch that Jaguar. We got to change. And change is scary. But it can be fun. And what we're talking about, we're not talking about going back to living in caves. We're talking about creating a better world for ourselves and our children. Can we talk a little bit about why you have to touch the jaguar? Because I was thinking about could, could your perception have not just changed? Why do we have to touch a jaguar in order for our perception to change? Well, touching the jaguar really means that we, as, as the shaman explained this to me at one point, he says it's like you're crossing a bridge. And so in my case of foods, where I get this strange foods and spit beer and the perception bridge is it's killing me. It'll right. kill you. A voice says it'll kill you. It takes me to it's killing me. But when I change that perception to it's making me healthy, uh, this is in today's terms, local, organic, highly nutritious food that's making this very, you know, the, the, the schwa people are very healthy. It, it changes everything. So let's look at the virus right now. If we look at people that are experiencing something like this coronavirus that, that, we've, that we have experienced, and you're sitting at home and isolated and you're saying, I can't, I can't do this any longer. I, I, I can't do it for another week. Forget about a month or two months or whatever. That's a big jaguar. It's okay. saying, you know, I can't do this. I think, okay. The reality is this is a virus and you're stuck at home. And then you, you put this perception on it and you, you freak out. You get into this, you know, situation that's highly stressful. But if you touch that Jaguar and the Jaguar says, hey, didn't you always want to learn to play the flute? <laughs> you got a flute. The internet can teach you how to play the flute. Didn't you always want to, you've always talked about wanting to read more. Here's your opportunity or write more or mm -hmm. learn. Painting, talk more often with your relatives who live in France or whatever, you know. So when we touch that Jaguar, we see the opportunities 
that come from whatever the situation is that we're in. And whether it's a virus or whether it's, it's, it's food that's making us sick or whether it's we're losing our jobs. I, I talked to a waitress. I did this thing with a, with a woman who's a, who's a waitress who's you know, lost her job as a waitress. And, and the restaurant she worked in is probably never going to open. And they're saying that she's in Seattle, that probably half the restaurants in Seattle at least will never open again. And she's like, well, what do I do? I love food. I love what I do. I love dealing with food. And so that's a big Jaguar. You know, touch that Jaguar. What does the Jaguar say? Well, the Jaguar, I mean, when she really went into it, she, she realized that there's a tremendous opportunity here for her to start preparing meals out of her home. She can get a license and delivering them to people's homes so she can start her own business. Lit, lit her up, you know, like, wow, that's better even than working for somebody else. I get to be the chef and the waitress. You know, and she decided that she was going to specialize in, in doing this for, for, for elderly people who, who have a hard time getting out of, even if there's no virus. When, when mm. things. So if we start to look at things like, all right, what are the opportunities that arise from these crises? And what do we have to do to change, to touch that Jaguar and not be afraid to make the changes we need to, to, to better lives for ourselves? in the world. Why do you think opportunity is kind of hidden and disguised in the Jaguar and the thing that we're afraid of? Because the Jaguar is, you know, we've all got things that block us, voices, whatever, my, you know, my teacher's voice or a parent's voice that says, you, you don't have enough education. You're not, you don't look right. <laughs> You're not the right gender. You're not from the right social background that stop us. And when we touch those, we, we, we learn to turn them around. You know, if, if we don't touch them, if we, we just keep listening to them, we, we never change. We, we run away from what we really want to do. And the book tells a lot of stories, uh, true stories, because I think storytelling is a great way to entertain people. People enjoy it. But it also it presents a whole process. So that by the end, you've come, you, you, you arrive at a, at a daily process that you can do for 10 minutes and 10 minutes a day or once a week if you want. But that process really asks you to ask yourself, Five questions. And the, and the first one is, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? What will bring me the greatest satisfaction? My answer that would be, right. You know, yours might be host, host the show, or the carpenters might be. And the second question is, how do I do that in a way that makes a better world for other people? Because we all feel better about ourselves if we are helping others. For me, it's writing stories and inspire people to transform a death economy into a life economy <laughs> or to transform their lives. For a carpenter, it, it would be, uh, you know, to let people know that they need to use sustainable materials. Hmm. And then the, the third question is, what Jaguar stands in your way of doing this? So one for me as a writer was this English teacher who told me I couldn't write. And for, for a carpenter doing this, it might be, well, most of my clients don't want to pay more money for sustainable materials, which may cost a little bit more. So I, I don't think I can do that because they don't, they're not going to be interested. You hmm. touch that Jaguar. And, and so the, the fourth question is, what Jaguar do you have to touch to change your perception that will allow you to move forward with what you want to do in life? For me, it was understanding that the English teacher wasn't the authority. You know, he was just one person's opinion. For Carpenter, it would be, well, wait, ha, I tell the people that this really isn't a cost, that the added price of the sustainable materials is an investment in the future for themselves and their children and their grandchildren. They're not paying, they're not paying an ex a cost. It's not a exp it, it's expense, it's an investment. It's an investment in the future. And then the fifth question is, what actions do you have to take every day? 
as a writer, you got to write. And as a carpenter, you you go out and you do carpentry work, but you also tell your clients that you're going to do it in a way that's going to benefit the future. And and they're going to be benefiting the future and they're going to feel really good about it. So are you. So for all of us, we can go through this five-step process. And and the book, actually, there's a a workbook that if people pre-order the book, if they order the book online, they'll get a little workbook that makes it easy. But so it's this process that we can all go through. But basically, it's all about touching that Jaguar. Whatever it is holding us back from doing what we most want to do, most know that we should do for ourselves and for others. You you brought up a really interesting point about how there's which Jaguar do you touch? How do you kind of identify back to that pain point? Because I'm sure living with that story of that professor that may have not been top of mind, maybe it was, but I know sometimes we might have things that are holding us back that we've become so accustomed to that we're so comfortable with that identifying it is kind of hard. Yeah, it, it, it can be. And that's part of the challenge is how do you touch that Jaguar? You know, the Jaguar's there. And so, but it, but I think deep down in most of us know. So so the, the the professor's voice for many years may have been pretty much a subconscious voice. But but at some point, I, I, I so what I had to do was think to myself. So what is it that's really keeping me from writing? Why am I not writing? I love to write, and I was writing, but but I was keeping it secret. I wasn't trying to publish anything. I wasn't. I was just writing like a journal sort of thing. I love doing it. And I said, well, what's keeping me from, from sending a story out to a publisher? And then it, it struck me, I'm afraid to. I'm afraid of rejection by the publisher. And I thought, well, why? And so that's the, that was, you know, it took a while. But, and, and then uh, why am I afraid to get rejection by a publisher? A publisher is just a person. I've been rejected as a, I've been an economist. I, you know, I lost clients. I competed to, with other with other with other consultants to get jobs, and sometimes lost them. And I didn't take it personally. Why did I take writing personally? And then I remember this professor and how how back when I was very vulnerable as a freshman in college, sitting on top of the world, I was on a full scholarship, partly because I'd been a good writer <laughs> in, in prep school, and and suddenly you know like oh. So it had this huge impact on me. And once, you know, so I went through this process of getting there. So you ask yourself, you know, what is, what, what is that voice? What's the voice? Who am I hearing that's telling me that I, that I can't, that I can't go into carpentry, that I can't do a podcast? I'm sure, Heather, you've had to touch some Jaguars to do, to do this. And you did. You touch them, so you're doing it. And now I'm you're still feeling- touching some, though, because there's always like that next level. Like, you know, starting something is one thing, but then, you know, you're constantly faced with rejection and leveling up to where you want to be. So it's interesting, this this whole concept, because I feel like it's, you don't just touch them once. <laughs> that's one reason why I suggest people do this kind of exercise frequently, every day or that frequently. Makes that makes sense. Yeah, because there is a, always, you know, even like I can get up in the morning and know that I, I want to write. I love to write, but I've got to write this. I got I'm, I'm involved in this chapter right now, which is which is a difficult one to explain. Um, well, maybe maybe I don't. Maybe I should. Maybe I shouldn't do it today. Maybe. And then I got to say, well, wait a minute. Why is it difficult? No, it's not. Have fun with it. And I go out and I say, the jaguar says, so what's difficult about it? And I say, well, you know, other people who've written about this subject have done it much better than I have, or or whatever. And the, and the, and 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 the jaguar says, yeah, but they were writing. Like Joe Stiglitz, who's a great economist, <laughs> I have great respect for him. He writes about these subjects, but he's an academic, and he writes in an academic way. And his books don't sell as many copies as mine because they're not fun stories to read. They're great. He's a great. He's a great thinker, great economist, and universities love him. But so then I think, well, okay, so I don't really need to write it 
in the, the Jaguar helps me understand it. Don't write it the way George Stiglitz would write it. Write the story behind it. Tell it as a story with some dialogue. It's a true story, and you really went through something that took you there. So write that story, and I say, oh, yeah, this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this. I have one final question for you, but first of all, I just want to acknowledge you and thank you so much for not only your time with us today, but also your work and helping us move past some of our fears and really identify what we really want and have the courage to to go for it. Like you said, where can people pre-order the book? I know it comes out in a couple of weeks uh, and just, just connect with you online. <laughs> Thanks, Heather. Yeah. And, and uh, they, they, they go to johnperkins.org is the easiest way. There's also touchingthejaguarbook.com, but go to johnperkins.org and I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. That's all there at johnperkins.org. And if they pre-order the book, uh, they'll immediately get a workbook that goes into this process. They'll get the book and they get to join a, a Facebook group. We've now got, I don't know, several, a number of, a lot of people on it. So johnperkins.org is the best way to go. Wonderful. All of that will be linked in the show notes. Very last question. Let's say we were to go back in time. We discussed over and over again, this, this young college student who just had his heart broken with this man that he really respected, um, discouraged, the one thing that he wanted to do with his life, which was to write. And he had no idea the journey life was about to take him on and the adventures that he would have in the lives that he was going to touch one day through his writing. If you were to go and sit with that young man for a moment and tell him one thing that you deeply understand now that he did not know back then, what would that be? Well, let's see. So, you know, I'm not sure I want him to change anything. I thought about this a lot. And I thought, well, if I had started rather than going back to business school, if I had just gone into writing, become a novelist or whatever, uh, that, that, that would have been great. But then I also think, well, but, but, but because of the route I went on, I became a chief economist and an economic hitman. And that's really given me something to write about. And then I also did the shamanic thing. And so I could tie the two together. And as you said earlier, kind of a unique position for doing this. So I think the advice I would give him is, you know, follow fate. So we're presented with fate. And, and don't, don't fight the fate, what's given to you, what's presented, this, this English teacher and so on. But understand that that there's certain things that come into our lives. The coronavirus is a great example. What's important is not so much that they're there, they come into our life. It's what we end up doing with them ultimately. And so keep yourself open to looking at what opportunities this presents. And whenever you find a challenge or you're, you're confronted with a problem or a crisis, look for the opportunities that create themselves out of that. Mm -hmm. So the young man goes to business school and then the Peace Corps, you know, maybe I would, the best suggestion would take more notes. Uh, I did take notes, but take more notes. Keep keep more informed. So keep, keep a record better so that when you go back and later on, <laughs> Uh, you'll you'll have some great material. Just stay open to knowing that fate comes our way. Things happen. And what's important is how open we are to seeing the opportunities that arise uh, from all the different crises, problems, situations that confront us throughout life. One of the things that John said that really stuck out to me was those five questions you're supposed to ask yourself. And I, I loved that he talked about what do you enjoy and how can you use that to make an impact in this world? And those things can be linked together and they should be. You don't have gifts and talents and desires for absolutely no reason. I think they were strategically put there to not only enrich your life and your experience, but also too, to help this world. Make sure you connect with John at johnperkins.org. Also grab his latest book, Touching the Jaguar. 
All of that is linked in the show notes. And hey, if you have not done so yet, I would love to send you a text message. All you got to do is text 501-214-4307. I'll send you a text once, maybe twice a week. And just say hi, send you an encouraging message. Again, that is 501-214-4307. All right, I love y'all. I'll see you in our next episode.